Roasted Butternut Squash Beef Bulgogi Spinach and Gorgonzola Risotto Welcome back to We Muse Aloud A tasty soup of stories and confessions Seasoned with music and sound effects Sure to please your sensorial palate Hot and sour soup Southern Fried Chicken this episode is about cooking, and we hear from four contributing voices who share what they get up to in the kitchen. How did they learn to cook? What do they do particularly well, and how do they handle it when it all goes wrong? Cheese souffle. As always, We Muse Aloud is designed to be enjoyed with headphones. So if you're ready, wash your hands. Tie on an apron. Sharpen your knives. Lobster bisque. Chocolate molten lava cake. Preheat the oven to 450. Episode 14. Cooking. French onion soup. Eggplant parmesan. Yes, I can cook. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm like an expert chef or anything, but functionally, day to day, I don't need recipes. We, we eat mostly pretty basic stuff, so that's easy for me. And I can open my fridge and see what's there and create something out of that. So I don't feel like I need to rely on a recipe. So. Functionally, I'm good. I'm not, you know, like a chef. I didn't train to be a chef, so I'm not as good as they would be. But day to day, I feel like I can cook and it's not stressful for me and I can just whip up stuff. Yes, I can cook. Um, I don't know if I could rate my skill knowledge. I'm a very, I have a very diverse, uh, set of influences and things that I've chosen to pay attention to. I have a lot of experience in the industry, but not necessarily cooking. Um, so what's interesting for, interesting for me is uh, my love of cooking came because I couldn't work in my industry and continue to eat the food and survive. I got, I couldn't, I had to stop living off champagne and hamburgers. <laughs> and um, so needed to learn a lot more about cooking for myself. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, you know, if you ask my friends and family, they love eating my food. Uh, the odd time I will cook for guests, you know, but I'm, I'm definitely you know, geared, I don't know if this makes sense, but uh, geared towards cooking for myself. In terms of skill and knowledge, I would say it's relative. Like, it depends on who I'm comparing myself to. Like, definitely as a kid, I was super adept compared to all of my friends. And now, I mean, like, if you consider that, yeah, I've got friends who are chefs and, like, actual professional people who cook, then nothing, really. Like, more than more than maybe your average person. Like, I, I have a joy for it, but I, 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 I'm, I'm no pro. 
I can cook pretty well. I, I, there's there's certain signature dishes that I make, and then I'm all I'm always trying new things and going online and looking for recipes. Roast leg of lamb. Mostly, it was my own learning through cookbooks, watching the cooking shows and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because I, I didn't really learn to cook for my mom because she always did the cooking at home and we weren't involved in that. So I didn't have any recipes passed down from her. Well, one that I particularly asked her for, but I didn't cook with her or anything, so it wasn't that. I did learn a bit from my brother because he was always very interested and sort of opened my eyes to a lot of things around cooking. But mostly it was my own efforts in university and afterwards because I liked it. So I left home not knowing how to cook. My mom had five kids and was like, there's no way you're messing up my kitchen. Uh, and I ran away to BC and lived in Tofino for six years and uh, really learned to cook. This guy named Dwayne Bell hired me, the idiot. And he, um, he we had a staff of four and we would make di uh, dinner for anywhere between 100, uh, like about 100 guests every night. And it was the best job ever. I, you know, I got taught how to bake bread and desserts early in the morning. Then, like, we'd go for a surf. And then I would go down into the docks, see what was fresh. So the relationship with food and how the food supply line was I sort of affected what I was eating, I was very aware of that really early. And so when I came to Toronto, my focus stopped being about you know, a local focused food system and just was like, wow, look at all this cool stuff going on here. But then really c cooking, I had to go back to that because that's the only way I will cook for myself is if I know where everything's from. And, you know, it doesn't make sense to me to buy your shrimp and, you know, paper towels from the same place, obviously, as we're all figuring that out. But that was a very early consciousness for me. So my cooking is definitely derived from, from that space of, of learning to cook on the West Coast. Um... I probably learned how to cook first from either my parents or my older brother. Like, my older brother would probably cook some things. Like, I'd watch my parents cook. Uh, specifically, my mom, when I was a kid, she would cook a bit more. My dad a little bit later. But I never really knew how to cook. My brother learned how to make, you know, like, craft dinner. And that became the ultimate thing I had to learn how to cook, was I had to be able to make craft dinner. I had to be able to make it better than him. And then after that, we stepped up to, uh, to making pasta and beans, which essentially, in our case, is a uh, slightly elevated version of craft dinner, which is actually just, you know, you, you take penne or you take uh, rigatoni, and then you still take, like, powdered cheese, and you make it exactly how you would make craft dinner, but the texture was different, and uh, and the way that my parents used to make it, and the way that um, that we would make it, was spiced differently. So I started to really get into uh, the different ways of spicing it properly, like finding new spices from there. So that was probably the initial one. I, I worked in a kitchen for a bit. I was a prep cook uh, for uh, like a day, or, <laughs> or I think I, I made it a few shifts, but um, I, I couldn't do it because it was, there was so much meat and I didn't grow up 
around any meat, and so it was really creepy when you were like thawing chicken wings and you have your like your hands in this like sink full of blood. It really started to mess me up. So I did learn how to make a lot of sauces though through that. Um, and uh, wait, in one day? <laughs> well, I think they were probably two or three days. But yeah, actually, you'd be surprised how much you can learn about making sauces and that stuff through one day of prep cooking. Because when you're a prep cook, like you get in at like 6 a.m. and you're working till like, you know, 4 p.m. or something. And it's just, here's a book full of recipes. You need to make all the stuff that we're gonna use on the line uh, throughout the day. So you actually, in one day, will make pretty much everything that they're gonna use. So like, I learned a lot about how to make, you know, like Italian stuff. So I worked with Eastside Mario's. So I shouldn't say Italian, but like, you know, whatever Eastside Mario's makes. I would say definitely my mom and, and my dad to a certain degree, uh, watching them cook. But it was really simple things like burgers and chili and spaghetti sauce and things like that. Um, you know, and then living on my own and learning how to replicate those recipes and getting them from my mom and, and making them and then uh, trying different things with them. You know, going, trying to add different spices or using different ingredients, like say using, if it was a tomato, if it was a uh, spaghetti sauce, for example, using a, using crushed tomatoes as opposed to a basic tomato sauce and what a difference it made in texture and flavor, adding different spices. Um, adding more garlic than my mom would use, using fresh garlic as opposed to jarred garlic. Uh, then throwing in things like, oh, I'll try some sun-dried tomatoes, I'll try this. Uh, then I would say working in a restaurant for, for 10 years, watching what the chefs were doing and seeing things like um, what they would, like, like a sauce they might make, like a, like a you know, I do, a, I do a, a chicken dish that's just chicken cooked, just cooked in the, in the pan, and then I take it out before it's quite done and I do like a Dijon butter uh, lemon cream sauce. And that's something that I watch the chefs do at the restaurant. Same with them taking a basic tomato sauce and then adding cream and vodka to make a penny al vodka. Wasn't something I was familiar with or adding, and then adding like Parmesan to it. These are all things I would watch, watch the chefs do and just I would take little, little, uh, little tricks that I, you know, I observed. Jambalaya. Well, I mean, I run an underground restaurant and, you know, I do have guest chefs, but when I don't have guest chefs, you know, I'm doing the cooking. And there's an added, there's an added pressure when you are cooking for someone and then they're going to pay you money for it. <laughs> you know, and that's a whole different ball game. So, um, I also can't cook for like two or four people. I am built to cook for armies. <laughs> so what's stressful for me is when there's four people at the table. Like, it, I actually calm down when there's like 12 people. Okay, I know how to do that. I know how to shop for that. So when there's a few, I was like, man, there's gonna be leftovers. I'll be feeding the homeless all week. It'll be great. <laughs> there's like four people. If I'm having people over, there's always a little bit of anxiety of, oh, I, A, did I make enough? <laughs> did I make too much? Will people like it? You know, that sort of thing. Um, but usually, day to day, it's a source of comfort and it grounds me. So it's not usually anxiety provoking. No, I don't, I don't think I ever get stressed out when it comes to cooking. 
If anything, it really calms me down. Uh, it's become a, a, like a luxury. Um, if I can, I try to do it as much as I can, like probably just about every day now. It's maybe one or two days where I don't cook. I, although I, should, I shouldn't say that. There's probably no day where I don't cook something. But in terms of being able to take a day, like usually I'll take at least one day out of the week to really just cook a bunch of stuff, that's very relaxing to me, like preparing the food and, uh, and cutting it, all that stuff. To me, that's just, um, I don't know, it's fantastic. It's, it's such a departure from like my everyday thing. And, um, and yeah, spicing and playing with different flavor combinations. If I can take a day and really say like, okay, I'm gonna make dal, but I'm gonna try to make dal a little bit different, then that's very exciting to me. I would say definitely it's, a, it's, it's comfort when I'm in the zone and being able to do it. If I've gotta do it, if I'm, if I'm trying to do it for my children, I don't have, really have a great idea of what I'm gonna make, or if I'm concerned they're not gonna, not gonna wanna eat it when it's done, that's a source of anxiety. But generally, it's a really, it's a fun it's a fun process. I like to see it come together. Um, I can't I can't follow a recipe at all. Um, I have ish, like baking. I suppose I used to be really into baking. Probably when I was I don't know like 12, 11, 12, 13, around that. Like my friends would come over, we would bake. Would be the thing because we didn't really drink. So I guess that's what you do when you don't drink. You you bake. Uh, so we would just make food, and uh, and so at one point, I don't I don't know if I was following recipes, but I was really good at baking. And I think as I started cooking more, I I got really bad at baking because baking's like chemistry, like baking is very specific. And yeah, well, general proportions I'm kind of okay with, but I need to feel them out. Oh, amazing! I I mean, cookbooks. Uh, my first cookbook was Rebar, which was a vegetarian cookbook out of Victoria, one of the oldest vegetarian restaurants. And I think I've I have a dog-eared copy that I've taken to like six countries. You know, it's lasted since 1998 in my collection, and I can take it to markets in Mexico and and deviate recipes, you know, there. And that was sort of my my first kind of little mini, uh, you know, having a collection of cookbooks starting that I took with me so that I could adopt uh, recipes based on what was available in the markets. I didn't go to school for cooking, you know, and, and it's a continued passion of mine. So I will often, my cookbooks are like everything from, like I got into planting, I got into gardening and, and building greenhouses and uh, really sort of pushing this idea that we shouldn't just be planting the same type of carrots all the time. So my collection is not just recipes, but it has a lot to do with different types of uh, varietals of food and the history of food and, um, you know, who's doing what with cool things in places that I like to travel to and who's doing what and cool things or where people have different or the same, for instance, growing systems that we do. You know, in Maine, for instance, there's a lot of cool stuff going down there because they're interested in heirloom and heritage varieties. Uh, they're a little further along in their organic practices and they're a little more developed. And so, you know, the outcome of that, I'm really into what those people are doing. So, yeah, I definitely, definitely do that. And plus, I, I travel a lot to, like, um, Mexico and South America, and so I have a lot of collections from travels for what I've learned down there. Definitely. I like them. 
I have some. I really like the pictures in them. I don't like cookbooks that don't have pictures because <laughs> I part of it is to see what they what it can be like. Um, I don't use them as much now because usually if I am looking for something, I'll just Google it, and that way I have a billion recipes to compare. But there are still a few that I have that I consult for basics, but mostly I don't buy them much anymore. There are a couple that I've, I've been wanting to get, um, but... I know some people who are addicted to buying cookbooks and they have like hundreds. <laughs> I'm not like that. I, I have maybe like 15 right now and that's enough for me. Yeah, I don't really, I, I mean, I guess the online, the online recipe is the new cookbook. I don't really own any cookbooks. I have a friend, well, Michelle has got an entire shelf of cookbooks and I think she has had to like stop herself from buying any more because she's got so many now. And I don't really, I don't really rely on them at all. Yeah, just mostly it's online stuff or online tutorials, and uh, and then recipes that are passed on from from people. Sashimi. Um, I think people's moms are great cooks. My friend Corey's mom is a really good cook, and my friend Joyce's mom is a really good cook. And mostly, I think I I admire them because they're they cook all the Chinese food that I wish that I could know how to make. Um, Corey's mom makes a Chinese New Year dinner every year and she makes like 10 different dishes, you know, from memory and they all have meaning because you're supposed to eat certain things and I don't have any of that knowledge. Like I couldn't make a single thing <laughs> that she does. So it's cool that she can do that all on her own basically. So I admire that. You know, I, I, I think my mom's really good. She doesn't like cooking that much as I've learned later in life. She. <laughs> She has made it quite clear now that we're all grown up that she doesn't care to cook. Uh, but I always thought my mom was brilliant, and I'm sure, like, you know, everybody thinks their mom is brilliant. Um, but actually, my dad also, he only, I guess he could always cook, but he never really cooked that much. But, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time um, living alone. Just my parents have always had this relationship where they rarely ever get to live in the same city. So I think a little bit later in life when he was, um, so his family, his family all lives on this street. And so usually like if he's back home, he's on that street. And so like one of his sisters will just cook. Um, like my aunt mom, for example, brilliant cook. Yeah, if she's cooking, why would you bother cook? However, you know, at one point he was living on at some other place in Trinidad and I guess he just had to learn how to cook or something like that or I forgot the exact circumstances. I think he might have been out of a job at the time uh, until he was at home and he was like in between stuff and so maybe he started cooking then just to help out my mom. But my dad is a really good cook. Like my dad is a really good cook. He is not healthy about it in any way, shape or form, which is probably why it tastes so good. So in that way, it's kind of like the opposite. Uh, but he's really good too. Otherwise, like in terms of, uh, uh, I dated someone for a while who was brilliant, and she still is a brilliant cook. And uh, she actually had a business delivering uh, lunches, like a Tiffin carry business that she'd started up when she was, uh, I think, that's how she put herself through law school or, or something along those lines. <laughs> so she would do that and uh, yeah, she actually didn't cook that often for me, like over the span of the relationship. Um, 
and even after, like once or twice. But when she did, it like blow your mind. Um, well, yeah, like Michelle and Paul are great cooks. They always have. They are. They, you know, that's the first time I ever had raclette. Was at their house. They have a little raclette maker. So they're very good cooks. They're always and and uh, and they both have different things they do. Like Paul makes a really good pulled pork that he slow cooks. He loves barbecuing stuff. Um, who else? Oh, you know my stepmother, because she's Chinese, has uh, does amazing Chinese food at home, and she goes to the Chinese supermarkets and picks up, you know, all the ingredients. Does like her own spring rolls and egg rolls and little and, and little dumplings. Like they're, it's like really incredible what she does, and, and she really seems to enjoy doing it. It's it's like it's it's as good if not better than something you get at a restaurant. Um, Sasha Douglas, she was probably one of my first real food mentors in Toronto. Um, she, she would totally argue with me and she has no business arguing with me. She's a fantastic chef. She ran uh, something called the Coop Space in the East End of Toronto. Um, I just watched this woman, she was like this amazing hybrid between like hyper organized and this like really... Like her dishes are just so abundant and organic, and like she had this like almost like personality that that didn't match this like abundance and awesomeness on the plate. And I was like, How? You, and she just effortlessly pumped this stuff out, you know. And it was a pleasure to work in her kitchen. And she was being a woman too, you know. There's um, and working one on one with another woman, she's going to correct you in a way that's comfortable and not necessarily in a way that if I was working in a traditional kitchen that would happen. And so it just let me explore a little bit more and a little more comfortably like you know skill sets in the kitchen so she was not only a great cook but a great great mentor potatoes or gratin uh mostly i cook alone but i think for alex and i day to day where we cook together fairly frequently but it's not very complicated so it's not like we're in each other's way or anything um but I like, I do like it as a solitary activity. Like my favorite, one of my favorite things is to have music on and to cook. And that really frees up my mind and I, it's a stress reliever for me. So I like doing it alone, but there are moments when it's fun, especially baking or something, it's fun to do with someone else. Yeah, I want to think that I like to cook with other people. <laughs> I don't know if I really do. I like cooking with other people around, um, like to keep me company while I'm doing stuff, uh, or giving people tasks to do, but I feel like uh, I'm okay with, I, I, there, there are times, uh, I think there are times, and I really want to be better at it. I really like cooking with my girlfriend, um, but even as I say that, I know that if she hears this, she'll probably think it's a bit of a fucking lie because I, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of controlling when it comes down to it. Uh, and I like that. I, I think it's because I like cooking for people and I, I like knowing that I'm doing that. Um, but, you know, splitting up some prep tasks and that kind of stuff, that's, that's always fine, that's helpful. I also have a small kitchen, so it's, it's hard for a couple people. And I'm really big, I'm a really big dude. So it's, it's hard for me to fit with other people around. Generally, I would say I want to be left alone. Like I don't want someone 
helping me at all with something. I'd rather not, yeah, I'd rather not have the extra set of hands. However, one of the nice things now with having kids is that they do want to help out, and I'm always open to that. So for example, like, you know, Bridget and I make French toast together, so she adds, so she cracks the egg, and she adds the different ingredients and mixes it up, and, um, and that's really fun. That's really fun to do. And, and, and I'm glad that they're excited about that. So that, that's the exception. The exception is like with kids because it's a, it's a great learning opportunity and also a really fun bonding opportunity. Sharing can, can be helpful. And I think I'm pretty good at that. You know, like if there's, um, you know, usually the collaboration is about a holistic creation of a menu and not necessarily one dish, right? So, and that's, in this kitchen in particular, we're always feeding mass amounts of people. So it's like, okay, you got this, you got this. And then people will ask or not ask for help with their particular dishes instead of everyone messing around with the same dish. Which, because I think your personality and your style should come out in your, your own thing, right? And I don't think collaboration necessarily is all that great sometimes on one dish. Although, my, my house cook and I are really interesting because he, um, like, he will... He will do the bulk of a dish, and then he always gets me to finish, you know? So we have this neat relationship where his, um, you know, he gets really caught up in a lot of the processes of, say, a big protein, and then, you know, I'm doing whatever I do, uh, you know, setting up the room or whatever, but because I haven't been involved, I think, in the process, I have this really kind of, like, um, impartial palate when it comes to, like, you know, the minute before it goes on gets to the table, I'm like, no, no, this needs a bit of salt or needs a bit of whatever. So I like our little collaborative relationship. It's fun. Yes. And we both don't think we're good cooks. <laughs> Grilled asparagus. I think generally I'm on the I want to be the cook uh, angle of it, uh, mainly because I feel like there's a natural division of cooking and, and cleaning, and I'm really bad at cleaning. And so... If it means that I can just cook all the time, that's great. That's my ideal, because I suck so bad at cleaning. That being said, though, I, I don't know. Um, I have been in a relationship where someone is a better cook than me, although I still think I cooked more. Um, maybe they wish that I didn't cook more. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was ever a thing. But, uh, yeah, I generally like to be the person to cook in a relationship. And I've always been, with a few exceptions, uh, the person to cook in a relationship, it's certainly a romantic relationship. With friends, I was always the one friend who could cook. And so I think maybe it probably goes back as far as that, like a group of friends. And all of a sudden you're the best cook in the world because you know how to like, you know, add black pepper where all of a sudden that blows people's minds. I'm also from the Maritimes too, so that's, that's a factor where the slightest variation of anything that's not like mashed potatoes is mind-blowing. Mashed potatoes with milk? Wow, it's a whole new world of folks down there. I've never been in a relationship with someone who cooks. Uh, I well, when I was younger I was, but, it, but we were too young and we didn't cook and, you know, it was, that, wasn't a, that wasn't on the barometer of importance. <laughs> is it now? Like yeah, it? definitely now. I think um, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, I, I haven't been in a relationship for five years, and in that five years, cooking has definitely become more important in my life. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting. I think generally because I'm, like, 
often a more dominant personality in the relationship anyway, they're just gonna, you know. And they, they will usually like my cooking. And I would like, if they do the dishes, I'll do the cooking. That's kind of how it should go. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me. Although if someone's a better cook than I am, that's a really great plus, for sure. Yeah, I would, I would ideally like to have somebody, you know, be in a relationship with somebody who does different things than I do. Because then you you combine your strengths and you can both do great things and yeah I like I like the way I like the way somebody else is you know how it's funny like you never your cooking always has you can always taste that it's yours like it's very rare that you make something and you're like but do you ever have these these times when you cook something and you taste it for the first time and you think this doesn't taste like something that I made for whatever reason it's not a deal breaker but it's nice when I don't have to be the only one. Um, like, for Alex and I, I do most of the cooking, and I think I enjoy doing it more. Whereas for him, it's more, I have to eat, so I have to cook. Um, but I do appreciate that he can do it. And that there's days or days of the week where I don't feel like cooking and he'll do it, or I'm working late and he'll do it, or, you know, I don't have to worry about that. So I appreciate being able to share the responsibility, but I, I think, I, because I enjoy it so much, I don't mind. Baked green. I remember my last relationship and the first time I was cooking for him. And it was, I was trying all new recipes and the soup was great and that was about it. And my kitchen was a disaster and yeah, we didn't eat half the food anyways, you know? And I was like, okay, well that's gonna never happen again. <laughs> so a... I always will make sure that I've done it before, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not usually trying out new things, um, which is kind of, for me, counterintuitive, because I'm always trying out new things, but um, I kind of have things that I like to give people that are representative of, like, how I like to present foods. Like, there's um, a particular Oaxacan chocolate that is just... Like, it's just magic, you know? And the, the fact that it's always in my kitchen, like, it's always gonna be around. Like, I'm gonna serve you that, you know? Um, yeah, I think it just, I need to have done it before. And then also, like, I just sort of, in my brain, like, de-emphasize food. Like, where I, my instinct is to plan an amazing meal, I'm like, do half of that. <laughs> like, you're not really, you're gonna be talking, getting to know this person. You're really not gonna pay attention to the food. It, you know, do one awesome thing. Um, like oysters or something, and then, you know, just keep it simple. Um, certainly if we've been on a couple of dates, um, and it's only partly because I'm cheap, but <laughs> it is very affordable. Um, you know, usually it might be something like uh, a pasta dish, um, or I really like, you know, a good, which is also a good test for me, is to cook eggplant, because not everybody likes eggplant. But I love eggplant, and I think if you don't like eggplant, or if you can't, you know, stomach eggplant, we're probably not gonna be compatible. So that's a factor. One time I made a burrito for somebody, like a really good burrito, and then they scoffed at me. And that relationship didn't last more than like two more dates. I wouldn't even call them dates. What was their problem with the burrito? I have no idea what their problem was with the burrito. I thought it was a great burrito. It was like properly spiced. In fairness though, it was before I knew how to um, 
actually spice a burrito myself, so I'm still using the El Paso taco mix thing, which I've recently learned is just cumin and chili, and I guess cornstarch. It's changed over the years. Like I think it used to be that I would make a really nice pasta dish. I probably would do like a penny alla vodka, maybe add some things to it, like black olives and sun-dried tomatoes, or do something with like a, a pasta just, just tossed with olive and garlic and you know broccoli or something. Uh, but I would say now it's probably a chicken dish. And again, like this, I do like a very standard kind of Dijon chicken. And I would, I would tend to add that to like a salad. Cause the salad, like it's nice, it's light. Like you don't have to, it's not messy. And it's just like masculine mixed greens and like goat cheese or maybe blue cheese and some, you know, sauteed onion, some baby tomato and avocado and it's just, it's a really nice, it's, it's, it's filling, but it doesn't make you feel full afterwards. And uh, it's, and it actually, it's, it's really easy to make, but, it, but you know, you can do a lot of fun stuff with the presentation. So that's something, that's something that I would make for somebody if I was dating them and they like to eat meat. Otherwise, I think I would be probably, I would probably revert to the, the pasta. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's, there was a standard dish. But I always remember, I talked to some of my like female friends about this, about when is it too soon to cook for someone you're dating? Because as much as there's a big part of me that loves cooking, loves food, and wants to share that with someone, I also don't want to create this dynamic where I'm serving someone or you know, always the one catering to someone. And I think especially because I'm female and I date men, that I didn't want that to, dynamic to be established really early on that I was submissive and like the housewife. So I've definitely had talks with my friends about that. But there's also this huge part of me that loves to cook and wants to share that with people. So I, when I was dating, I always felt a bit of conflict within myself about that. I don't think there was ever like a signature dish, but I was probably usually the one that would cook for someone first versus them cooking for me first in a dating relationship, but yeah, it's, that one's a hard one because there's a huge part of me that wants to do it. I remember this one time, um, my brother and I were gonna, we were trying to make um, peanut butter cookies. I think it was from some like Sesame Street recipe. Like if the Sesame Street used to have these, these books you could get from like, I don't know, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, so it was like a, a cookie monster it would tell you how to make some kind of cookie in every book. And so one of them was, I think, peanut butter cookies. So decided so would make this. And I think like on top of everything going to hell with it, like at one point my brother like decided he'd use the hand mixer and he just got peanut butter cookie like all over me, which was the constant state with doing anything with my brother. I was always somehow getting dirty or hurt. Or, so I went and I had to go take a shower because like nothing gets it out. It was like in my hair, it was everywhere. And then, uh, and then we baked it and it just like, it was pure negligence. It just blackened so much. But we couldn't like not eat it. We had to try and it was awful. It was like, it was, you bite into it and it was just ash. It would actually crumble in your mouth, but not in like a shortbread way, like in a, in a way of like ash, just like destroyed woody. It tasted like if you've ever chewed on wood, 
which I don't know why you would have chewed on, I've chewed on wood. If you've ever done that, then it tasted like that, but worse. I mean, so that's one thing. I mean, otherwise, like, yeah, I, I burnt stuff a lot. One time, like, you know, like, again, through negligence. Uh, I one time tried to make a Thai curry, um, like a green curry, and uh, it, I never like sieved out or I never like strained out any of the, the actual curry ingredients because I tried to make the curry from scratch, all these like different leaves and that kind of stuff. So it ended up being this kind of weird woody mixture in the midst of it. Like the idea of like blending stuff properly and, uh, and using a strainer, using a strainer is such a new thing in my life. Like I would never do that. I just felt like it was a waste and like wimping out on the food. So in that way, and probably a lot of other things, like I, I cook a lot, so I really fuck stuff up royally. Uh, not the food part, but around it. So I, I had some people over and I made them chocolate mousse, which you have to bake in a water bath. And I had too much wine. So when I took the hot casserole dish out of the oven, I thought to myself, oh, I should cool these down so that I can serve them right away. So I'll pour cold water into this hot glass Pyrex and it totally shattered everywhere. And the actual chocolate mousse and the ramekins was untouched, so we ate them anyway, but they will never let me live that one down and they always make fun of me now <laughs> for that one. It's actually funny, I did have a, I tried a recipe this week because I normally, chicken breasts, like I will cook in a pan on the stove. Uh, and it's kind of a longer process for me because I'm always like flipping them and adding Dijon, different things to it, spices. And I, and I was thought, I'm gonna see if I can just do this fast so I don't have to worry about it. I'll throw it in the oven and then it'll, it'll come out really well. And there was a recipe that was, that was, um, that I found where it said, just throw it in, throw them in for like, 15 minutes at 450 and cover them with, you know, just coat them with butter and put some spices on them and like rub some spices on and you're good to go. And I was like, great. And then they came out and they were so, oh, and they said, also said, the skin gets very crispy. I'm like, great, fantastic, is what I want. And they came out and they were just like, they had that, they had like a soggy look to them and they had no real flavor. And I actually had to put them then in the pan to give them some crispiness. And the kids didn't like them. And I was like, all right, this was a fail. So I felt that was, that was actually a recent time. I should have just, you know, I should have not read the recipe. I should have just done it, done it the way that I would normally do it. Well, I generally live in places or run my underground restaurant out of places that are, you know, not tip-top. Literally, so, I mean, this summer was a great example. It was the first summer where we were doing high volume and we were trying to do a fish and fowl dinner. And the power went out the minute the guests arrived and then my kitchen sink backed up into my toilet, or into my bathtub, which was the only bathroom that the guests could use, so this bathtub full of gross water. And all of the power was out and there's nothing I could do about it. And I had 20 guests and... So I've learned, you know, since then that to make sure my entire menu can go on the barbecue if it needs to. Um, when I'm, you know, now I have an electrical upgrade, so I'm not too worried about it. But it was not a good meal. It just wasn't good. We, like, we had to do it in sections for everything to be hot because there was only one little barbecue, right? 
Um, yeah, I was not proud of that and agonized over it for like a week. But thankfully it was a dinner salon, so there was like a topic, so everyone was like not too upset that the <laughs> food kind of sucked. I just make sure that there's amazing dessert and just keep eating them cocktails and it's fine. Clam chowder. I definitely want to learn more Chinese dishes because I don't cook Chinese food usually. And I find that it's, to me, it feels harder because there's all this prep that you have to do. So I definitely would like to experiment more with that. And also, you know, as something to pass on to my children or my future children. So that's something I would want to learn. But I also, I was at the cottage this past weekend and I learned to bake bread and to make pies. So I really want to perfect that. Because there's so many different pies you can make, savory ones, sweet ones. Uh, so I want to do that, and also bread. I'd love to try to make sourdough. But the, the problem with those two things is I don't want to eat that much of it. Because <laughs> if it's here, then I'll eat the whole thing. So it's, it's, you know, I have to pace it. Like I have to make it and then give part of it away or bring it somewhere or something. But those are my goals. There's a thing called culinary foam. And I don't know how to make it. I'm assuming it probably has something to do with egg white, which is kind of rough because I don't really eat eggs and they gross me out. But there's something about culinary foam. It's like always in like French cooking, all that stuff, which I also never eat because it's mainly like meat. But where I would love to be able to make a form of culinary foam, because it's, it's this like cloud, essentially, that food is served on. And it's, I don't know if it actually has any flavor to it really, but it's this great, authentic, like, you know, fancy, high class presentation thing. So I want to be able to use culinary foam and then put the most like pro shit I can on it, right? Stuff from like Trinidadian street food, like everything, like take a piece of plantain, throw it on some culinary foam and be like, here's a gourmet meal for you. You know, I would love to take a proper, I love baking, I'd love to take a proper baking course. I would love to start a bread program that I'm, that I'm proud of, you know, that, um, you know, I dabble in it, but when, whenever I do, I'm, you know, everyone's taking home loaves and I love that, you know, and I think that bread is something that's become this bit of a controversial topic with this whole gluten stuff and there's just ways that bread should be done, you know? And I think that a lot of people are misinformed about it. And so bread is definitely something that I want to start tackling. Um, and also like, I don't eat a lot of meat. I'm a pretty much a pescatarian. And uh, so I think I want to just learn how to do big fuck off, you know, meat. Uh, I don't do it a lot and there's not a big request for it at the house. So yeah, I want to get into that a little bit just to, and like mostly cause I, I'm pretty, you know, if meat's coming in here, we have to know that it came from a good source. So I'd like to get into game, you know, because I, I've got some, some interesting sources for that. And I, you know, if an animal's going to, you know, come through the door, we got to make sure that it's treated right, you know, so. The other day, I, this was kind of interesting actually. I went to the store and I was going to make, I was going to make these uh, slow cooked spare ribs in the oven with some, with some um, dry rub from bark on Roncesvalles, and I was gonna put some, then put some bark uh, sauce on afterwards to kind of finish it off. 
and I was shopping and I saw the, I saw some uh, collard greens. I thought, oh, I'll get some collard greens to go with them. And then I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, they're hard to make. I said, really? He, goes, he said, yeah, he said, they're really hard to make. And are you gonna, what do you, because it takes a long time to cook them. It wasn't that they were hard to make, but it intimated that there was a lot of work to go into them and your kids are gonna eat them. And he said, I said, well, why? What do you, I, it seems pretty easy. Just like, you know, cut it up, throw it in a pan, oil, oil, garlic. He said, no, 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 you gotta get like a ham hock cook it with a ham hog, so he was much more, and you know, he had, so, had much more of a gourmet outlook on it. So, here's what happened though, I got the collard greens, I went and got the ham hock from the butcher shop, collard greens went bad, <laughs> went bad in the fridge, I went and got some more collard greens, I was like, I'll do it, I just couldn't get excited about it, collard greens went bad again, still have the ham hock, I gotta use the ham hock, I've got some black beans, a bag of black beans in the cupboard, so I'm like, okay, I bet there's a way to combine the black beans and the ham hock, the one online, just Googled black beans, ham hock, found a really great recipe for slow cooked black beans. Long story short, made that overnight uh, on Friday night and it was delicious. Leftover pizza for breakfast. This episode's contributing voices were Andrea Warren, Jeff Paris Ram, Christopher Smets, and Sarah Evans. Sarah operates House of Commons, an underground restaurant in a secret location in Toronto, featuring a variety of creative events with inspired menus. To learn more and to experience it yourself, visit MabelGray.ca. Gray is spelled with an E. The music for We Muse Aloud is composed and produced by Ron Kelly, who can now be found at ronkellymusic.com. If you are enjoying We Muse Aloud, please do us the honor of letting someone else know about it. You can subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. Like us at facebook.com slash and follow us on Twitter at WeMuseAloud. Here is a fun fact. The tall white chef's hat, or toque blanche, traditionally had a hundred pleats, to represent the number of ways an egg could be cooked. I learnt it on QI.